All right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Glad you are here. Just wanted to kind of drop it and just see, just see what the energy is in the room, and it's, it's pretty low. All right. Anyway, glad you are here. Hey, this is part four of our series, How to Feed Your Demon. I love bringing each of these messages to you in the series. We're going to finish this up next weekend. Now, if you are joining us for the first time in this series, all I can do is encourage you to please go to our YouTube channel, check out parts one, two, and three, because if I begin to review what we've covered so far in this series, I'll never get to today's material, all right? So I encourage you to please go to our YouTube channel. It's there for you for free, parts one, two, and three, and answer a lot of questions, set everything up for you, and give you some information. I only say this today. We are giving you steps to feeding your quote-unquote demons, all right? Not literal demons, but metaphorical demons, those negative behaviors and emotions you struggle with, most of us struggle with. We are learning to feed and nurture what's broken inside us rather than starve and fight what we mistake as bad things, okay, a.k.a. demons, all right? That's kind of where, what we're talking about in this series. And we've already given you three steps. Let me give them to you quickly. Step number one, take a personal inventory. That was week one, and then at the end of the message, if you remember, I gave you 13 questions you could work your way through to kind of take a look at who you are on the inside, what's really going on behind the scenes. It was all about really taking a look at the deeper parts of who you are. Step two, we said refuse to remain the same. There's got to be a part of you that finally says, you know what? I've taken a look at who I am. I see the broken parts of me. I see the things going on inside of me of, you know, which I'm not too proud. I've got to make a decision to get up. I've got to make a decision to say I'm not staying where I am. I refuse to remain the same. I'm not going to live the rest of my life like this. Last week, we said you got to pursue wholeness. This is about integration, bringing what's in the background and what's in the foreground together rather than remaining separate, rather than remaining two parts, three parts, four parts, you bring things together, pursue wholeness. Today, step number four, that is care for the troubled parts of your soul. When I was a kid, I had difficulty staying in the home of friends. They would invite me over and I wanted to stay. I mean, I had these great friends, you know, when I was a kid, we finally settled. If you know my story, we moved a lot and we finally got to a place where we were there for a few years. I made some friends at school, made some friends at church. They would invite me over to their home to stay. And I I just declined over and over again. Every now and then, occasionally, I would say yes and I would stay at their home for the night. But it was challenging when I did. When darkness settled in and bedtime arrived, I became just miserable. It was excruciating. My mind imagined the worst. I felt panic. So I most often said no. I never told my friends why I said no. I came up with excuses. I came up for reasons why I was not going to spend the night at their house. But every now and I did, and when I did, it it, it was terrible. That lasted through middle school. It lasted into my high school years, those emotions, those storms on the inside. It was a little better in college. By then you would think I had grown out of it, but I didn't and here I am. I was literally a thousand miles away from home when I went to school. My first two weeks of classes were torturous. I seriously considered calling home and saying, no way, I cannot do this. I need to go somewhere closer. I I didn't know at that time in my life. I didn't know when I was a kid, I didn't know in middle school, high school, didn't know in college. I was carrying wounds from my childhood. 
Not, not physically. I mean, my mother did everything she could to take care of me, protect me from all physical danger. She loved me. She did her best. But emotionally, I was wounded. As I grew older, matured, my emotional wounds began crying for attention. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was simply messed up. You know, I thought, well, I don't know what it is, but, you know, here I am, a young adult. I should be much better than this. I should be able to handle myself better than this. Uh, I was not like all the other shiny people around me who seemed to have a good life and they seemed to just enjoy going places and doing things. And I just wanted to cocoon. I just wanted to stay in a secure environment. Now, if you were to ask, you know, I I could have told you um, not a whole lot. I, I could tell you how I felt, but I couldn't tell you what was going on inside of me because I didn't know that I had wounded parts. I didn't understand not only that I had wounds that had not been healed, I didn't even know how I got those wounds. I just, here I am. And I just thought I was just broken and you know, maybe eventually everything would take care of itself. I was just ignorant. In June, 1990, Lan and I married. I was confident the demons had gone away. I was older, more mature, a soon to be college graduate. We married just about a semester or so before graduated, preparing to enter ministry. Okay, I'm good, right? That was childhood stuff. You know, I'm I'm beyond it now. I'm, I'm gonna be okay. Now I have a wife. Now I'm getting ready to go into ministry. No. Immediately after Lan and I married, I suffered a deeper level of fear, dread, and an overall sense of doom. And I literally carried it with me all the time. Marriage did not change much, if anything. It was difficult for Lana. Childhood, emotional wounds, not her experience. Uh, She was compassionate, patient with me, loving, strong, encouraging, determined to help me overcome. But I remained miserable for years. Now, for some of you, what I'm saying makes sense. I mean, I'm I'm reading your mail, okay? You've experienced it or you are experiencing it right now. But for others, it is a foreign language. Your childhood was magical. As a child and a young adult, you were protected. You rarely experienced disappointment or confusion or fear. You grew up strong. You flourished emotionally. But that isn't the story for millions of people around our world. And I'm confident a lot of people gathered here, a lot of people watching online, still deal, continue to deal with the effects of their early life wounds. They've moved on, they've, they've, they've married, they've started a business, they've got a job, they've got a career in the military, have kids, grandkids, I have no idea. Uh, time does not just automatically fix those things, okay? If you're a wounded 20 year old and you never deal with it, when you hit 50, guess what you are? A wounded 50 year old, okay? It doesn't automatically just fix because you get older, all right? We cope a little better, we figure out tricks We figure out ways to prop ourselves up, all right? But we don't automatically become fixed. And I wanna go deep with you today. Can I do that? Doesn't really matter, I'm going to anyway, all right? I wanna unmask some demons, if you will. Now, a lot of the information I present to you today in this message, I borrowed from a book. I thought I had a picture of that book up there. Maybe maybe I don't, actually I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, what I present in, in, in the book called Boundaries for the Soul. If it's up there, uh, whoever's on the computer back there, uh, there it is right there. Boundaries for Your Soul by Dr. Allison Cook and Kimberly Miller, especially chapter three. I highly recommend you to pick up this book and read it if you can. It will, it will really just jump into kind of what's going on in your life and, and help you, all right? All right, 
Now, before we jump into the content of today's message, I want to and provide you some hope and some help. I want you to know this. This is very important. You are a collection of parts, emotional parts, spiritual parts, physical parts. What we see about you is neither all of you nor the most important parts of you. Your most important parts, the parts making you tick, giving you energy, life, hope, joy, the parts making you who you are, those parts are internal. The authors mention psychologist Richard Swartz who spent years observing people and he noticed, and throughout his years of counseling, years of therapy with people, he noticed people tend to talk about themselves in terms of parts. And they describe these parts as having distinct thoughts, feelings, and character traits, like individual members of the family. And we, we, we find ourselves talking about ourselves that way. We, we say things like this, my body is giving me fits. Notice that, it's your body that's giving you fits. You separate those two things. My mind doesn't wanna slow down. When I try to sleep at night, my, my mind just won't stop. Almost like it's a separate part of you. Sometimes you'll say things like, sometimes my personality is really unique. Your personality separate. It's a unique personality. In the depths of my soul, I believe this or I believe that. Notice how we separate our mind and our, our, our body and our personality and our soul, body, mind, soul. We talk about ourselves, we talk about other people in, in, in terms of parts. We tend to separate ourselves that way. Now what Dr. Allison Cook and Kimberly Miller do in, in their book is they take the research of Dr. Swartz and they run it through a Christian lens. And here's why, this is really important. Ultimately, the best way to care for the troubled parts of your soul is to invite the Holy Spirit to lead every single part. But most of us have little idea what that looks like and we have no idea how to begin. I wanna help you with that, all right? Just like you were created with, I don't know why I have my slides opposite, doesn't matter. All right, anyway, I'll fix it later. Just like you are created with physical parts, hair, color, eye color, height, shape, etc., you are created with soul parts, soul parts. And these parts develop and they mature over time. But when those parts are hurt, when they're wounded, when they're traumatized, they can produce extreme feelings and painful memories that can press you downward. And we live our life almost as if we're weighed down by the things that have happened to us in our past. And as a result, you can behave in ways you never imagined, disappointing ways, hurtful ways, shameful ways. In fact, my guess is most of the poor behavior in your life is due to an unhealed part of your soul. You may not know where, you may not even know how it happened, but it did. And the goal is not to get rid of those ugly parts of your soul, but to experience a healing and grow through those ugly parts of your soul. Because if you don't experience healing and growth, just as an unhealed physical wound affects your walking, 
It affects your running, it affects your sitting, your overall quality of life. An unhealed soul wound will do the exact same thing, except it will do so in relationships, in your peace of mind, in your success in life, in your ability to thrive. So if you have an unhealed leg and you're limping, it, 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 it impacts your gait, your walking, your running, your sitting, your quality of life, same thing inside. You have things inside you've never dealt with, you've never had healing for, those things will affect every area of your life except those things mostly are internal, kind of invisible. Marriages, friendships, your experience spiritually, on and on it goes. Bessel uh, van der Kolk, author of The Body Keeps the Score, here's a great quote from this book. Trauma results in a fundamental reorganization of the way the mind and brain manage perceptions. It changes not only how we think and what we think about, but also our very capacity to think. Now listen very carefully. You wanna know why some of us sitting here this morning, some of us watching online, you wanna wanna know why we struggle with runaway thoughts, misperceptions of people, misjudgments, why, why we struggle so much that we think other people are talking about us when they aren't. We wonder when the other shoe in life is gonna fall. We struggle with deep anxiety and fear and we get angry over the smallest things. Often the reason those things happen is we have unhealed trauma, unhealed soul wounds. It is changing not only what we think about, but our very capacity to think. Our brain, our mind has literally been damaged. The fear, excuse me, my prayer for you, we're going to get to a fear in a moment. My prayer for you is in Psalm 86, 11. Here's, here's my prayer. Give me an undivided heart. Notice that, that integration, that bringing everything together. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Now the fear here is not a negative fear. It's a reverential fear. It's a very serious fear. It's a very deeply respectful awe and wonder. The psalmist is saying, God, what I want to happen is I want my heart not to be divided into all these different pieces and some are healthy and some are not, and some are broken. I wanna have a completely whole heart. I wanna, I wanna be undivided at the very core of who I am. So what we talked about last week, this integration, if you will. I wanna be undivided and I wanna have and live my life in a deep reverential awe and wonder of who you are as the creator, not only of the universe, but the creator of me. Most of us who experience soul wounds are still divided. We have not joined these parts into one whole healed, healthy soul. And because we remain divided, we experience problems. All right, let's get to some details, okay? Dr. Richard Swartz identified three parts of our souls. Two parts of our souls are committed to keeping us from pain. One part is attempting to rescue us from pain. What's interesting is we're gonna move our way through this, all right? As we move our way through this, you're gonna recognize some of these parts because they're front and center in a lot of our lives. And for some of us, one or all three of these parts direct our lives. They're in charge of our lives. We didn't know it, we didn't know what name to give it, but we live it. 
It's there all the time. It's at the center, at the core of who we are. We're just unaware of them. Here's, here's what Swartz, he, he names these three parts. Managers, it makes them real simple for us. Managers, firefighters, and exiles. Let me, let me talk to you about these, okay? The first part of our soul he calls managers. What are, what are managers? What's the manager in our, in our soul? It is the part of your soul doing everything possible to protect you emotionally, to keep you safe, to prevent more parts of you from experiencing harm. The manager inside you works overtime trying to keep your life smooth and predictable. Why? Because you've had pain, you've had trauma, you've had disappointment, you've had a broken heart, you've had a messed up past, and the manager is trying to do the best that the, this part of your soul can to, to keep your life smooth, to keep it predictable. It's the manager that gets you out of bed in the mornings. It's the manager that reminds you of all the things you didn't do. You gotta, you gotta go back and get them done. How's your calendar? How's he pushes you to perform. He pushes you to produce. That's a good thing. But if this part of your soul remains wounded or gets wounded, it doesn't function as it should. It gets out of control. Let me explain. And if this manager gets out of control, he will keep you from experiencing emotional growth, genuine joy, and a connection with other people. Why? So this helped me so much. Because the manager in our soul is bent on protection, predictability, safety, and it is virtually impossible to experience growth and joy and connection with others without risk, without loss, without some level of discomfort. Because this part of your soul was wounded, and if we had more time, I could tell you how this part of my soul got wounded, if this part of your soul was wounded, rather than the manager pushing you forward, it holds you back. Instead of inspiring you to take risks, it alarms you of all the dangerous things in life because it's trying its best to keep you smooth and predictable. It's why it's easier, and you've never been able to figure this out. It's why it's easier for some people to try new things, but not you. It's why some people seem to take chances, but you can't. You look at somebody else and they, they assume risks in life and they, you know, they, they push themselves and they kind of move up and you're just sitting back going, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not so sure. I'm scared. I'm not, I don't want to jump off the diving board. Some people are healthier than others. And we have these wounds that we carry and they stop us from taking risks. They stop us from jumping off the diving board. They stop us from assuming that, hey, you know what? Life can be better, I'm gonna have to pay a price. If you're healthy, the manager says, go for it. If you're unhealthy, the manager says, no, 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 don't take a risk. Look at what happened to you in the past. And you're gonna do it again. You're gonna hurt yourself again, so stop. Slow down, don't do anything. Here's how to know if the manager, the demon, if you will, needs some boundaries, needs to become healthy. Here's just a bullet list. We don't have time to go through all of them. I'll just give them to you quickly. If your manager's out of order, if your manager is kind of broken, if your manager's not working well, you'll worry about situations that are out of your control. You can't do anything about it, but you'll worry about it and worry about it and worry about it and worry about it. You'll focus on people pleasing, making sure everybody around you is happy because if everybody else is happy, you'll be happy. You'll work long hours at the expense of others. Oh, well, your wife needs you home. Oh, well, your kids need you there. Oh, well, I've got to work. I've got to work. I've got people, please. I've got to achieve. I've got to prove myself. You'll overanalyze relationships and decisions. You just get stuck in loops, constantly overanalyzing. 
You'll criticize yourself and others excessively. You'll find all the problems in your life, all the problems in other people's lives. It's the manager talking. You'll exert extreme control over your own behaviors and others. You gotta control everything you do and you wanna control everybody else's behaviors too. And you'll pursue perfection and refuse to accept human limitations. Did you, did you write all that down? <laughs> we'll put a list together for you so you can have it. That's the manager. That's the manager. That's the first part of our soul. Do you see yourself here? Don't, don't lift your hand. So you're going to give us an altar call and we're going to have to come down and repent of these things. No, no. I just want to see, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself any there? Do you see yourself reflecting in any of that? Here's another part of our soul. He calls them firefighters. Other category, they're protectors, if you will. A firefighter is committed to minimizing suffering. Managers attempt to prevent suffering before it occurs. Firefighters attempt to alleviate suffering after it occurs. This is huge. This part of you, if it's out of control, if it's not functioning correctly, will indulge you in anything that feels good, distracts you, and tricks you into believing you're handling life well. Because its goal is to minimize suffering. So whatever minimizes suffering, it encourages you to do. Now it's a fake alleviation, it's not real, you'll see that in a moment, but it'll do whatever it's gotta do to convince you that this activity helps you not suffer very much. So go for it. When a firefighter part of you is healthy, he will help you care for yourself so you survive life's hardships. He will remind you when it's time to rest. He will help you unwind. At his best, the firefighter encourages you to watch a movie to relax or to read a book to help your mind escape some of the stress, to spend time in prayer and meditation, to develop yourself spiritually. At its worst, an unhealthy firefighter leads you down a path of recklessness. Here are a few reckless ways the firefighter will use in your life. See if you see any of this. Mindlessly surfing the web and escaping through social media. Rather than dealing with what's really in your life, the suffering, why, why is it there? What's happening? No, 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 you don't have to do that right now. Just, just immerse yourself in something that will distract you for a while. Over-exercising, overeating, over-cleaning, over-spending, over-sleeping, whatever it is. It's just something to distract you from the pain in your life. It's a firefighter trying to minimize suffering. Watching entertainment excessively or gambling compulsively. You can put anything on that on that list you want. Sexual addiction, excessive daydreaming, or escaping into romance novels to take your mind off of what's really going on. And focus over here, focus over here, focus over here. Everything's burning over here, don't worry about that. Focus over here, focus over here, focus over here. Abusing alcohol or drugs, any of those things that will alleviate suffering. I want you to be honest. Are any of these patterns, you don't have to lift your hand, are any of these patterns familiar to you? It's not about guilt. Not about condemnation, it's about recognition, it's about pursuing truth. Do you see these things in your life? Now, in addition to these managers and firefighters, you have a more vulnerable parts of your soul that do not fall into the managed category, they don't fall into the firefighter category, they fall into what he calls the exiles. This is so, 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 so important. What are exiles? the parts we deny or hide. Listen, every single person in this room, everybody watching, myself included, okay, 
We've experienced brokenness. We've experienced sadness. We've experienced disappointment. We've had people lie about us. We've had people lie to us. We've had people walk away from us after they promised they wouldn't. We've done things that have hurt other people. We've said things we shouldn't have said. People have said things to us they shouldn't have said. We've had all kinds of things that have happened. Some of us in here more than other people. Some of us have stories that would just blow the minds of other people if we only knew what you had gone through and what's happened in your life. All of us have experienced things like that at some level. We do the best we can to recover. We do the best we can to keep moving. We do the best we can to put those parts together as much as we can so we can function, so we can be a dad, we can be a mom, we can be a pastor, we can be a leader, we can be an employer, an employee, all those different things. But some of us in the process, we don't know what to do with that thing. We don't know what to do with that bleeding part of us, that wounded part of us. So we just move to a place where we deny it's there. We just say it's not there. We just push it over here. We end up storing feelings and insecurities that we don't want other people to see. We don't know what to do with them, and we don't want anybody else to know that they're there. The kind of the closet, you've heard that, you know, stuff in your closet. They've got things in their closet. I've got things in my closet. What does that mean? It's, it's a way of saying it's a hidden part of our life. We've banished them. We've hidden them. We deny that they are there because, not because we're bad or evil or sinful or wicked or it's, we don't know what to do with them. We don't know what to do with them. So we just throw them in a the closet and close the door and hope that five years later, you open the closet and they're gone. Guess what? They're not gone. You ever gone into your attic 20 years later? Did the things automatically disappear? Did everything get organized? Did everything just kind of clean itself up? How about a basement? How about, a, how about your car, right? No. What you put there stays there, all right? Dr. Schwartz writes this, great quote. We try to exile the fallout from dreadful episodes in the past, but in doing that, we're not only exiling memories, sensations, and emotions, we're also exiling the parts of us that were hurt the most by those events. So when you hide certain parts of yourself, let me put it this way, when you hide certain experiences, when you hide certain events, when you hide certain things that have happened, folks, you're hiding you. You. There are parts of you that we don't know because they're not there. You've stuffed them somewhere. You've hidden them somewhere. And that's, I don't have time to get into this, but you're going to anyway. But I'm going to anyway. This is one of the reasons why when people get married a year later, two years later, three years later, things change. Now, of course, we're all imperfect. We bring all kinds of things, but here's what happens in dating relationships. One person doesn't know the other person has things hidden. And I'm not talking about horrible behaviors or wicked things. It's not so much that. It's sometimes we literally have hidden ourselves. And the person that says, I do, is saying, I do to parts of you. But then the other parts come out a year later. The other parts come out two years later. Wounded parts, broken parts, damaged parts. And all of a sudden, things change. We hide parts of who we are. This is important, very important. Exiles are the distressed parts that your managers and firefighters are trying to protect. Here are the following feelings that signal an exile needs attention. 
Shame. If you experience lots of shame, this is why. Fear. Insecurity. Hurt. A feeling of worthlessness. Marginalization or marginalizing your own self, you know, putting yourself off to the side. You're not really worth unseen, unappreciated, overlooked. These are feelings that you have about yourself. Loneliness, sadness. When these things are present on a, I'm not talking about every now and then. We all have these experiences every now and then. I'm talking about it's all, it seems to be always there. It's just always underlying your life. There's parts of you that are hidden. There's parts of you that are not integrated. There's parts of you you have never dealt with. Now, I know what some of us are thinking, especially some of us men. Okay, that's not a sexist comment. I just know how some of us males think. We think things like this. I'm, I'm fine. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. Okay, this is just part of life. Uh, I don't have to be happy. I don't have to be at peace. I've got a job to do. I've got a family to take care of. Um, you know, so what if I had a difficult childhood? I mean, a lot of people had difficult childhoods. I mean, you gotta be tough to make it in life. And I'm just, obviously I'm just tougher than other people because I can make it and other people can't. The apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 22, the parts of our body that seem to be weaker are the ones we can't do without. Listen very carefully. Some of the parts of yourself, you deny, you banish, you ignore, you try to minimize, are the most important parts of you. They are the most important parts of you. Well, I, I, got to, I just got to go to work. I don't have time to deal with these things. So you think that more work is what your wife wants? Do you think 65 hours in the office is exactly what your kids want? What they want is your heart. What they want is a healed soul. What they want is compassion and love and faithfulness and kindness and generosity and gentleness. Folks, as, as a pastor, I've sat at the bedside of a lot of people. I've said goodbye to a lot of people. I've conducted funerals. I've done all those things. And many of you have been part of that. And you've heard me say this. You've heard other people say it. I've had a lot of people tell me regrets. I've had a lot of people say, boy, I, you know, I, I wish... I could have done this. I wish I could have done that. Nobody's ever said, I just, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I'd have worked harder. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, I wish I'd have spent more time on the golf course. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I'd have been more at the racetrack. I wish I'd have fished more. I wish I'd have shopped more. I wish, I wish, none of that. It's always, I wish I'd have spent more time with my grandkids. I wish I'd have been with my, I wish I'd have developed my marriage better. I wish I would have been more faithful. I wish I would have loved my grandkids. I wish those are the things. And yet those are the things that we seem to hide and we banish and we focus on all the stuff out here. What's most important are hidden. Former generations minimized. Peace of mind, joy, purpose, meaning, healthy relationships, emotional maturity. They seem most concerned about working hard, taking care of the family, past generations. I know, I know. And they did an amazing job, but the lack of emphasis they placed on mental and emotional health helped create the mental crisis we got right now. We are reaping the harvest of previous generations. 
The obsession with work, work, work yesterday may be one reason we got a lot of people not wanting to work today. We reap what we sow. All right, get out of my life, Scott. How do you know whether or not the protectors or exiles are healthy and working with each other for your good or working against you? Here's another bullet list, last one I'm going to give you. And then I'm going to give you some some scripture here that's really going to help you see all of this in context, all right? Here's a long, long bullet list. We'll, We'll put this list together for you, or you'll go get some of the book and you'll see it. You're critical of yourself and others. It's a feeling all the time. You're exhausted from people pleasing. You're angry and you say hurtful things. This is how you know that things are just out of sync. They're just out of sync. You struggle with making decisions due to worry and fear. You want to escape. Well, that's a big one. We could talk about that a lot. We're just always wishing we could get out of where we are. We're never happy with where we are. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it is not your location. That is not why you're miserable. It's not your location. Change locations do not automatically give you more joy. You're compelled to make something perfect. Nothing's ever good enough. Urgency to fix yourself or something in your life. You find yourself checking out. You ruminate about hurtful memories. You isolate and withdraw. You're always a victim of your circumstances. You can't stop feeling lonely even when surrounded by friends. You stay in bed too long. We'll skip over that. You feel worthless and flooded with shame. These are just a list of the ways that you know when things are out of sync. Now, you want to learn something interesting? Every single part of your soul is trying to help you. This is really important. Every part of your soul is trying to help you. Even those parts that seem out of place or seem awkward or seem destructive, they are trying to assist you. They're just unhealthy. They're either trying to protect you or they're trying to rescue you. They may do it in a weird way, but they're there to help you. They're just unhealthy. They're just dysfunctional. Let me give you an example. Anger. Anger is trying to help you. Why? It's trying to push people away because it feels threatened. So it tries to kind of buck up and be so tough and so angry trying to get people away from you because it's an attempt to keep you safe. It's dysfunctional, it's unhealthy, but it's an attempt to keep you safe. Cynicism is trying to help you. How so? Trying to protect you from disappointment. Lack of trust is trying to help you. Why? So you won't be hurt again. So it's keeping you from trusting so that you won't trust and get your heart broken again. Numbness. You know why numbness is there? To keep you from feeling pain. The problem with keeping you from feeling pain is you also are not able to feel joy. You're just numb. Fear. Why is fear there? It's trying to help you. It's giving you the energy to leave a person, to leave a situation, to avoid. So here's what I want to speak with you about for the last few minutes. I've only got you for... A little while here. Three, three thoughts and then a couple scriptures I'm going to give you. First, your emotions, spirit, and your mind are you. They're you. They're who you are. If you cut your finger, you treat it. If you have a headache, you respond to the pain. 
If you develop a fever, you take medication, you go to the doctor, you stay home, you rest. We treat our external bodies with love and care, but too often we minimize our internal bodies. Folks, your emotions are you. Your spirit is you. Your mind, it's you. It's who you are. And what's going on inside you is much more important and has greater benefits and consequences and affects more people than what's going on outside of you. Number two, you are wounded, exhausted, and unhealthy. Just admit it. And it's okay to say that. If you are emotionally wounded, you are wounded. If you are spiritually exhausted, you are exhausted. If you are mentally ill, you are ill. It's important that you start integrating and pulling these things together. You're not simply in a bad mood. You're not just tired. You're not just upset because you didn't get your way. It's not that you just need to sleep in on a Saturday morning and everything will be okay. It's deeper than that. And third, you don't have to lift your hand on this unless you want to. But how many of you would say, I'm wounded, stuff happened to me in my childhood or a few years ago, it's left me hurt, it's left me bleeding, it's left me bruised. And some days are better than others, some days I am far from okay. And if the wounds on my inside were on my outside, people would treat me much differently because they would see what's going on. And it is in this pit of wounds that I'm describing, these bruises that give rise to our demons. If that's you, number three, you need deep internal soul level healing. Now I want to I take you real quick because we only have a few minutes. I want to take you into a beautifully powerful scene. I'm not going to go through like I normally do the details of a story. I just want to give this to you quickly. Beautiful, powerful scene in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. This scene takes place at the beginning, right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And it happens almost immediately after Jesus is tempted in the wilderness during his 40 days of fasting. He returns from four weeks of seclusion and prayer. And the purpose of these passages is to encourage you. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter four. Now I want you to just listen and then I'm gonna show you this, this passage up here. Here's what it says in verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. So he goes back to his childhood home. Interesting. Back to his childhood home. Back to where things started. Back to where it all began. Sometimes we gotta go Back. He goes back to Nazareth on the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue as he normally did and he stood up to read. So these are people who have watched him grow up. These are people who have seen him when he was a child all the way up his childhood home. The synagogue assistant gave him a roll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, 
and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the synagogue assistant, and sits down. Every eye on the, in the synagogue fixated on Jesus. He began to explain to them, today, Jesus said, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Listen, Jesus begins his official public ministry by announcing good news. Release, recovery, liberation, favor. There are a few of us who are in bondage. We're in bondage not to an employer, not to the government, not to a horrible spouse, not to a terrible landlord. We are in bondage to emotional wounds and they are affecting everything. And Jesus came to liberate you from those wounds. He came to set you free. Because isn't it true? Be honest. Isn't it true that for some of you, your wounds are the most challenging bully in your life? These kind of wounds that we're talking about put us in bondage. You can't enjoy things because of these wounds. You can't have relationships that are healthy because of these wounds. You deny ministry opportunities because of these wounds. You have family interactions that are just terrible because of these wounds. Your job performance suffers because of these wounds. On and on and on. And he came to liberate the oppressed. He came to set you free. One other beautiful passage and then we're done. Matthew 12. The Pharisees went out and met in order to find a way to destroy Jesus. What an encouraging. Jesus knew what they intended to do, so he went away from there. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. But he ordered them not to spread the word about him. That's another reason why. So that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Now watch this. I want to put this up here. Last verse I'm going to give you. Look, this is Jesus talking. This is from, the, from um, the prophet Isaiah again. Look, my servant whom I chose, the one I love and whom I find great pleasure. I'll put my spirit upon him and he'll announce judgment to the Gentiles. This is talking about Jesus. Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus and Jesus is fulfilling it. Here's who Jesus is. This is his character. He won't argue or shout. Jesus didn't argue, he didn't shout. And nobody will hear his voice in the streets because he just talks with those who are around him. I love this. He won't break a bent stalk and he won't snuff out a smoldering wick. What does that mean? You ever seen a plant and kind of the part of the plant kind of breaks off? It's not all the way off. It's just kind of bent. It's bruised. It's bent downward. You know what the prophet Isaiah says about Jesus? He won't come along and grab it and rip it off. You know what he'll do? He's so gentle and so kind that he'll come and prop the bent branch up until it heals. You ever seen a candle and it's getting ready to go out and it's just smoldering and there's a little bit of red still there, but it's almost completely out. And what do a lot of people do? They kind of lick and kind of put it out or blow, 
get it out. That's not the way Jesus does. You know what he does? He comes along and covers it and begins to blow oxygen in it and gets it lit again. Do you know who he's talking about? You. You see, there are some of you in this room, you know what you feel like? You feel like one of those pieces of the branch that's broken and you're just kind of hanging there. And you look at yourself and you think, is there any life left in me? Jesus comes along and says, yeah. And I'm gonna pick you up and I'm gonna prop you up and I'm gonna nurture you and I'm gonna protect you until the life begins to flow back into you again. Your wick is right at the end and the smoke is starting to ascend to the sky because the wick is getting ready to go completely out. But there's just enough life in it that if the right person comes by and blows oxygen on the wick, guess what happens? A flame comes back. That's what he will do for you. That's who he is. That's who he is. And the Gentiles will put their what in his name? Their hope in his name. You and I are Gentiles. We are the ones that will place our hope in him. Verse 22 says this, and they brought to Jesus, I love this, what a great way to end today. And they brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak. Jesus, what? Healed him. So he could both speak and see. Man, for many of us, our demons prevent us from hearing or seeing the good news. We are stuck in our past. We are frozen in our pain. We are blinded by our wounds. And Jesus came to bring what? Healing. Healing takes time. Healing is a process. Healing leaves scars. Healing is different for everybody. Healing takes care of the problem. That's what he wants to do. Last quote and we're done. This comes from Boundaries for Your Soul. And here's the question I leave for you to think through. Here it is. What thought or feeling needs your care? What doubt or fear is hiding in your soul? Your anger and your fear and feelings like them need the loving presence of your spirit-led self to help them just their unhelpful beliefs and strategies. What if you befriended the parts of your soul that carry these troubling emotions and invited Jesus to be near. That's how I want to close today. Let's invite Jesus to be near. All right? Father, we bring our troubled soul to you. Sometimes we feel like that smoldering wick. We feel like that bent branch. We wonder if there's any life left. We wonder if there's any fire left. We have stuffed and pushed and hidden and denied get all this mess in our life and we put the smile on and we lift our hands anyway and we clap because we don't know what else to do. We're not trying to be hypocrites. We're not, we're not trying to trick people. It's not that we're trying to make people think we're something different than we are. We don't know what else to do. We're just trying to be husbands and wives and friends and sisters and brothers and pastors and leaders. We're just trying to figure this thing out. But today, we're not faking it anymore. Today, we're not acting as if we've got it all. Today, we're coming to you like a bent reed, a bent branch. We're coming to you like a smoldering wick. And we're saying, bring healing to us. Bring life to us. Breathe into us, Holy Spirit. Breathe life into us. Drag those things into the light and heal us from the inside out. 
Because what's inside us is so much more important than what's outside us. Speak into our lives, speak into our church. And we ask these things, the name of the one who is the healer and the restorer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I just want to say thank you so much for being here at Forest Park this morning. If you are new, we want to make sure that you stop by our information center. You can grab a free gift, a free mug from us to just say thank you so much for being here. And we'd love to connect with you. Uh, you can also see our new merchandise. We have new sweatshirts and hoodies. You can stop by the information center if you need more information about how to get those. And uh, again, thanks so much. I hope you have a great week. Thank you again. Thank you.